uh, Willow Park is looking at the Ten Commandments. The fact that we're looking at them probably means that we believe they still apply. That the Ten Commandments given by God to his people uh, continue to be guidelines for us as his people in the, uh, if I say the church age, that in 2014 there is still value to be found within the Ten Commandments. And I'm not sure if I am online with the rest of the, the campuses or if I'm ahead. If I'm ahead, I apologize. Um, but I want to take some time this morning to look at commandment number three. Exodus 20 verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Some translations, uh, especially some of the newer ones, will say you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We always hear that part. There is a last part to that verse that says, For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. When I started thinking about this, I was not sure about what there was to say that wasn't already obvious, or what there was to say that hasn't already been said. Uh, but the more time I spent thinking about that verse, um, the more I felt there were things that we could consider. Uh, I am going to say up front that not necessarily everything I share you may agree with. Um, I'm actually 100% comfortable with that. Um, but I want to share what I think uh, God has placed on my heart. You know, growing up, this commandment uh, for us as when I was a kid was kind of interpreted as make sure you don't use God's name as a swear word. Shouldn't curse. And so as a child, I certainly knew that using God's name as an outlet to express anger or exasperation or frustration was not acceptable. And I think I probably did a reasonably good job of obeying that commandment, if that's all it meant. Uh, when we grew up, there was always another list of words that would follow along after those that were also clearly off limits. And then there are always some that were, I would say, somewhat debatable. So someone would say, well, you shouldn't say that word, Doug. And others would say, yeah, that's, that's all right. And it was funny, in a way, the motivation uh, was kind of to figure out what we could get away with without crossing the line into swearing category. It's a somewhat misguided intention. I think even today when, when we teach our children or when we even evaluate our own life and our own language, we might 
rather use a verse like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4 as a guideline. It's pretty clear. It says obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness. Another translation said obscene, flippant, vulgar talk, totally inappropriate. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. But I want to say this morning that to kind of reduce the third commandment to a list of acceptable or unacceptable words, or simply as a reminder to watch our language, I think is to make shallow what is actually quite deep within this commandment. There are many cautions in the New Testament about guarding and controlling our tongue, about what we say. Uh, James probably has more to say about that than any other book in the Bible. But this commandment is very specific. It's very direct. It says we are not to use the name of God in vain. We're not to misuse it. And that directive comes from God himself. And I was thinking as we were singing this morning, how many of the songs that we sing lift up the name of Jesus. They lift up the name of God. And every time we sing those, we are doing, I think, what this commandment would have us do, which is to honor, to hold in reverence, in awe, the name of God. And as I thought about this commandment, it kind of came to me that to understand this commandment is to understand the word vain, to understand the word vanity. The commandment says, do not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. To do something in vain tends to imply futility, emptiness, something that is pointless, something that in the end serves no purpose. To do something in vain implies an action that in the end, you might say, comes up empty. We use it for everyday things. I might say, no, I searched in vain for my wallet. Police searched in vain for a motive. But it describes an action that in the end is to no avail. If we describe a person as vain, we attribute a sense of shallowness to that person. A preoccupation with self, perhaps someone with a bit of an exaggerated view of their own importance. And I think to understand this verse is to understand vanity, or you could say to understand vanity, helps us understand this verse. And I believe this commandment says, do not use God's name in an empty, futile, or shallow manner.
do not use God's name in a way that I'm going to say camouflages self-centeredness in a way that is intended perhaps to elevate one's own spiritual credibility and I'll talk a bit more about that. Trivializing God's name is absolutely commonplace in our culture. OMG is an obvious example and whether it is verbalized or whether it is written, it seems to me that it has become one of the favorite expressions or phrases of our day. It seems to be an almost an automatic response for every emotion from dismay to delight. And you know, you may say, well, Doug, it doesn't really mean anything. And I think that's exactly part of the message of this commandment. It's empty, it's trivial. It makes shallow and commonplace what God himself says should be honored and revered. And I would say, I think it's a phrase that we as God's children, redeemed by the blood of his son, should avoid. Our culture uses God's name in vain partly because it does not acknowledge who he is and may even question whether he even exists, so it has little meaning to many in our culture other than a glib expression. We have probably all heard politicians invoke God's name when it is politically advantageous. If it strikes a chord with the crowd they are speaking to, they will use it. I would say it is often no more than a calculated manipulation of the name of God for personal or political gain. It has vanity written all over it. But I think we need to remind ourselves that this commandment, however, was not given to God, to the godless nations around Israel. It was given to his people it was given to the nation of Israel. And in a New Testament context, or in 2014, it is given still to God's people, which means it's given to the church, which means it's given to you and me. And we might excuse an unbelieving world for trivializing the name of God, but the caution in this commandment is actually for the church. Prophets in both the Old and New Testament often invoked God's name, often performed amazing and sometimes supernatural signs in his name. Yet the response of Jesus at times to these people were, was, I never knew you. I think there at times is much that is done there is much at times that is said in the name of God that God himself has not said, not blessed, and not ordained. At times the word of a prophet 
may simply be an opportunity to profit. And when thinking about this, I came across some very powerful verses in Jeremiah. There were many prophets within the nation of Israel. Some would have been true. And often the words of the prophets to the people demanded that people make a change in how they live. So not all true prophets were well accepted. There may have been many prophets who may have been well-intentioned, but perhaps misguided. And there were likely prophets who were simply false. Jeremiah 14, 14 says this, And then the Lord said to me, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. What amazed me was the next verse where he says, I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own mind. So prophets speaking as if it were words of God, and God's response is, I have not sent them, I have not appointed them, I have not spoken to them. Jeremiah 23, verse 32, very similar. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who he says, steal my words from each other. In a way, they are attributing to God words, visions, dreams, things that God never actually said. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, the Lord declares. Perhaps in a 2014, you might say, the Lord said. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them, and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting, yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish the people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. I occasionally tune into religious broadcasting, not often. Um, because most, maybe that's an exaggeration, a lot of what I see, instead of encouraging, often bothers me. There are many programs where the name of God is invoked, promises perhaps, perhaps declared in his name, offers of free gifts, followed by requests for money. And as I watch at times, I become embarrassed and at times almost angry. Not embarrassed by the gospel, but embarrassed with what at times men and women do and say in his name. And I think within the church community, we need to be careful. We need to ask God to help us discern truth the true word of God from folly or delusion.
We need God to help us see truth as opposed to manipulation. We need wisdom to discern the difference between using or abusing God's name and honoring his name and all that it implies. At times, I think we invoke the name of God to spiritualize decisions we have made. We make decisions and then we kind of invoke God's name in order to portray them as God's direction. Should we buy the house with the pool or the house with the view? Should we buy the BMW? Should we buy the Lexus? Should we go to Hawaii? Should we go to the Caribbean? We may invite God into these decisions in order to bless what is actually simply a personal decision. Is God concerned about whether my house has a pool or view? Is God invested in my choice between two luxury vehicles? Does God care whether I go to Hawaii or I go to the Caribbean? I don't think so. To spiritualize the materialism that somehow looks very much like the materialism of the world, I think should cause us to pause and to think. What if God's voice quietly said, what's wrong with the house that you're in? What if the voice of God said, you know, you don't really need a car. You're actually just bored with the one you have. But there is a family in your church driving a 1987 Corolla on its last legs. What if the voice of God said, well, why not send someone else to Hawaii who would never, ever have a chance to go there? And if it's not Hawaii, we could say, well, maybe even Sparkling Hill. Would we recognize that as the voice of God, or would we dismiss it? I think we need to be careful not to manipulate the name of God in order to rationalize a decision that at its heart is simply one of personal choice. To make decisions about vehicles, homes, and vacations is not wrong. We all make them, but I become skeptical when we wrap them up in spiritual language. God asks us to pray for our daily bread. Most of us have far more daily bread than we actually need. When it comes to the trappings of our material world, we need to be careful not to invoke God's name in vain. In an empty or even a self-serving way, we may simply need to say thanks to God for all he has given us and ask God, help us to live a generous life. Within the church, there are also those who are quick to say, thus saith 
the Lord. God told me this. I have a word from God for you. God gave me a picture. God gave me a vision. And I tread carefully here. But there is an aspect of this kind of language that can easily be a form of spiritual vanity. To speak in a way that implies that God, apart from his word, has given direct messages. And when this conversation is framed in words like, God told me, there is often a sense that it should not be questioned. And I think we need to be careful and examine what I will call Lone Ranger revelations. I think that's what the prophet Jeremiah at times was referring to. I didn't command those people. I didn't give them those words to say. The New Testament, I think, warns us about this when Paul says that we need to test and examine all things. At times he says, test the spirits. I would say if you have a word from God for me, and it comes from the word of God, I will listen and ask for the discernment of the Holy Spirit. If it is a word from God out of the blue, I will exercise caution and discernment. Discernment that invites the input of other godly men and women. People of spiritual and personal integrity. Uh, even I did just spend six weeks in Vancouver. Two of those weeks, I would say, were not particularly enjoyable, but the last four, I quite thoroughly enjoyed. I enjoyed the city. I had an opportunity to visit a whole bunch of different churches. Sometimes it was not intentional, but I would show up at a church and they had changed their starting time because it was September. So I'd get the very last bit of the church, and I'd say, oh, okay, I still have time to go to that church. Some were small, some were large. Some were even outdoors. Some were very traditional, some were contemporary, and some were liturgical. I didn't really know much about the liturgical church, and, and still don't know much about it, other than when I was walking back to my car after being at Westside Church, which is right downtown Vancouver. I think I believe it's on Robson Street. There was a little sandwich board, and it said St. Peter's Fireside Church, and it pointed down some steps. Out of curiosity, I thought, well, I would like to see what that's like. And so I went down many flights of stairs, and with a bit of help from a few people, found this church gathered deep below, you might say, Vancouver. And what I saw there surprised me. It was a liturgical church that I expected to see, okay, pretty much people my age or older. Yet there were very few of them. 
And I would say the average age of that congregation was probably 30. Young people seeking to serve and worship God in a slightly different way. And I often think about liturgy as being sort of cold and boring and programmed. But in a sense, in a liturgical service, there are more opportunities for people to engage. And I was amazed that, uh, of the demographic in that church. And as I said, you know what, I enjoyed Vancouver. And if I had to relocate there for me, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world at all. It would be the worst thing in the world for Eva. She did not share my love of Vancouver. But I thought, what if one morning I declared to Eva that God had told me that we were to move and come alongside a small urban church in the heart of Vancouver? Would Eva be out of line to ask me whether that was a word from God or simply a desire of my heart? Would she be out of line to ask me, was that God's voice or your own desires wrapped in spiritual language? I would say absolutely not, but she would have every right to ask that question. Suppose a random person in one of the churches that I visited came up to me and said they had a picture or a vision from God for me. And in the picture there was kind of a mass of high-rises with a cross of Christ superimposed upon it. Would Eva be out of line to ask who the person was? Whether he or she was a godly person of integrity and character? Absolutely not. What if her reply was, you know what, Doug, if another man or woman of God who you know reveals the same message, perhaps we will know that this is not from the mind of man, but from the heart and the mind of God. Absolutely. I think we need to be careful as a church whenever we proclaim, God told me this, God told me that. God gave me this. God told me, you should do this. You should go there. These declarations, I think, at times have the form and may even give the impression of spirituality, but they may also be simply a reflection of someone's desire for spiritual credibility. We need to be careful. And if someone questions that word, that picture, that vision, they are not necessarily dismissing the hand or voice of God. They are simply embracing what I believe is a biblical process of discernment, of testing and examining all things. They are embarking on a process that includes the counsel and wisdom of other godly people, a process that involves searching the living active Word of God. And in this process of discernment, I believe the Spirit of God gives clarity.
I know there are those who might take issue with some of what I have said, and I understand that. And I invite you to share your thoughts or your questions with me. My heart this morning was simply to challenge us to think about how we use the name of God. How we use the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These names in the Bible are names above all names. They are high, they are lifted up, they are exalted. Do we at times use them in meaningless or empty ways? Do we at times make commonplace what we are called to hold in awe and reverence? Are we guilty at times of invoking God's name in order to give ourselves spiritual credibility? If so, we are using his name in vain. We are misusing it, and we need to ask for forgiveness. I want to close with, um, I don't have these up on the screen, but they are directly from the living word of God. And the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? And he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May our response to God and his son, Jesus Christ, be one of reverence from a thankful, humble heart. For he has redeemed us. In the Old Testament, Isaiah says, You are the mighty God, everlasting Father, wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. You are the great I Am. May we not lose sight that the Word of God I want to say, I don't care what version you like to read, remains the true and living Word of God, that God speaks to us through His Word. I think we need to remember that, that God's Word is not silent, that God's Word, when we read it, wants to speak into our life. It is living. It is active. The Bible says it is powerful. It contains all we need for righteousness and godly living. And it remains the word of God to me and to you. It remains relevant. It remains true. And I encourage us this morning as a church to stand in awe of the God who created us. The God who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. The one where we are invited to call our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's pray. Father, I say thank you for your word. 
Father, I thank you that the word of God remains as true today as it ever has been. Thank you, God, that you speak to the pages of the Bible that we hold, carry with us and read. That, Father, you speak to us through your word in a living and an active way. Father, would you help us be careful about how we use your name? Father, keep us from making it trivial or shallow or commonplace and in so doing lose the majesty and power of who you are. Father, would you make us cautious as a church when we speak on your behalf? Father, would you guard us from the type of prophets that you referenced in Jeremiah? That we would not be people who you would say, I did not say that, I did not speak to him, I did not ordain him. Father, I just give you thanks this morning for who you are. I want to give you thanks, Heavenly Father, on this Thanksgiving Sunday that you chose to reveal yourself to us, your creation through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, it's an amazing gift that we walk through this life with the God who made us and loved us. Father, would we not forget that, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.